Thank you for tuning in to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories with Amy Syed. This episode is brought to you by 15minutesaday.ca. Today, we are going to talk to someone who's got a harrowing story about survivorship and thriving thereafterwards. We do want to start by sharing a content warning. Information shared in our podcast can be graphic in nature. We do recommend you review the details of our podcast before tuning in. We appreciate you tuning in, and we hope that the story shared with you today is inspirational and helps you get through tough times that you may be facing. Welcome again to Calm After the Storm. So welcome to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories. Today's episode two, we do start with the trigger warning at the beginning of every podcast episode. Just to warn people who are listening, we do talk about sensitive issues on this podcast that can be triggering to yourself. So please be aware of that when launching this podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And today we have a friend of mine and a colleague, Paul Silva. Paul, did you want to start a little bit by introducing yourself to our audience? Yeah. Hi, Amy. Well, thank you for having me here. I'm excited. This is, I'm looking forward to this. My name is Paul Silva. I am, I live in Toronto and I am a coach and I, I work with new coaches right now, but I also work with people in addiction recovery, which is something that uh, is my story, as you'll find out. And I've been doing this for a couple of years. I was a, I was a chef of all things for 25 plus years. You know, I'll be 50 this year. Chefing takes a toll on your body. <laughs> so yes. between that and and my my passion shifting, uh, I switched uh, into coaching, and I and I love it, love it, love it, love it. Do you want to talk a little bit about your uh, coach's cove? Because I'm super excited about that, and I think it's such a great pivot in terms of the work that you were doing before. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Um, I did, like I said, I was working with people in addiction recovery for some time, and like I said, I still do. But new coaches who are starting to start up their business because I was. Uh, I, w- I was just finding a lot of new coaches just coming to me, like asking me questions about social media and, and marketing and whatever I knew. <laughs> so not like I was an expert. They just kept coming and coming. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to let the universe, you know, the market come to me and tell me what it is that they're asking of me. And the thing is, I love teaching as well. And I taught at George Brown for a couple of years when I was um, as a chef. So it's something I really, really enjoy. And so the Coaches Cove did um, maybe about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, where I give lots of information to new coaches. And I mean, I'm getting people, new people there all the time. I love it. And it's, you know, video, all sorts of learning units. And so it's something that I just, I, it's a passion of mine. I just really enjoy having the people there and just sharing what I know and researching stuff. It really pushes me to, to you know, build my own stuff, to grow my own business as well. And so that's something that uh, I've really been putting a lot of effort into. I love that. I love that. So I'm just going to kick it off here and uh, start talking to you a little, a little bit about why you're here today. So um, what we normally do here at the podcast is we want to talk a little bit about a person's history, what got them to where they're at, and how they're thriving today. So I'm going to take you back to when you were little. And could you walk me through your childhood and you know what that felt like growing up? I grew up in Toronto. I'm born and raised here. So mm-hmm. I, you know, my parents were great. I mean, they they were 19 and 20 when they had me and uh, Canada was 
new. They were new to the country. They didn't speak English. And uh, they worked really hard. To, you know, I have a younger brother. And so two young boys and trying to figure it all out themselves, like 19 and 20. Like, mm -hmm. trying to, like you know, it, it's, it astounds me. And so there was, just, there was a lot of love in the house. And, and, you know, it was also them trying to figure out how to manage this, like how to, they're trying to, to grow a family. And so, you know, they were very supportive and they, they always have been. There was never anything, quote unquote, that went wrong or went down yeah. there. So we have a small family. Uh, I just had an uncle and a grandmother. They've uh, since passed, but mm -hmm. it was, you know, we got to experiment. We got to play. We got to, you know, they, they always supported uh, my brother and I, whatever we did. And, and still to this day, they're very much the same loving parents. I, I was a straight A student and uh, I was in the gifted program and uh, I had a lot of great friends. And then we lived in an area up here, Jane and Finch, which is not the greatest area. Yeah. Um, and so, but we, we started to move to different places and, you know, it was when I started moving and going to different schools that um, there was a lot of bullying that started for me. And it was, it was because I was doing well in school. How old were you about when the bullying started? I was grade seven. So I guess that's uh, 12. Yeah. 12. Yeah. And um, it was quite, you know, physical, verbal, even teachers would get in in the fray. Teachers would give me a what for in terms of like, you know, verbally. Really? And Yeah. And it really, uh, it was hard because I had come from a place where different differences were celebrated. Yes. You know, and their thing, you know, whether it's someone athletic or creative or could sing and, you know, for me and a few others, it was, it was doing really well in school. I loved doing work. I loved it. And uh, to go to a place, it's just like, it was like flipping a switch. So can you talk a little bit about like examples of the types of experiences you had very specific to the bullying? Yeah. Like, I mean, I would I get, yeah, I, I get followed and punched. I, I had a teacher who would yell at me in front of the class and saying, cause I went to a gifted class once a week. So I leave the school. I wouldn't be at that school. And I remember her and just saying, Oh, you think you're so special. Look at you. You come here and you don't tell any of us. It's like the secret, like who, like really berating me. And you know, this was fuel for, of course, the guys in the back Yeah. later who would do everything from, you know, steal my lunch or punch me or do things to me during recess or on my way home, like terrorizing me on my way home. And it was all because I, I, I did well, you know, like it was, I don't know, threatening, I guess, uh, for, for yeah. many of these people. And um, that's when I started to shut down. I started to really start to shut down by then because it was, as a very sensitive kid, it was, it was too much. Like I didn't know what to make of it. It was very confusing. Yeah. So how old were you when you started to drink? I changed from that school to, I went to another school in grade eight. And it, what's funny is that, you know, as I thought about it not too long ago, I started to become, I started, I wouldn't bully kids necessarily, but I started to take that mindset. And then when I went to high school, some friends, you know, or maybe guys I hung out with, they created a rule, they started a rumor about me. And for the rest of my entire school life there, I had like this rumor that I was, you know, the rumor was that I had, I was taken to, a psychologist because my mom caught me masturbating like that okay. was it that was yeah <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous which is which is devastating for a teenager at right? that time I, and it was an all boys catholic uniform school oh was, yeah that's it was, devastating it was, it was it was awful and and so that was in grade 10 so i was 15 and and that's when i first started to 
look to alcohol and like because I would see it modeled like in movies and all that like when someone's stressed they they get that brown liquid and they pour it yeah. into the and so I thought that's what I have to do so I went through my my parents liquor cabinet and they weren't drinkers I mean they just had stuff because people gave them as gifts they 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 didn't drink very much at all yeah and uh, I remember just feeling like so like depressed and I tried to drink and it was awful. <laughs> Spit it yeah. out. And um, eventually I kept coming back to it. And so I'd say between 15 and 17 were probably the only years. So what would you describe, you know, walk me through kind of what happened after that? Like, I guess you graduated high school, you continued to drink. Can you walk me through somebody not really knowing what, what happened to you, the thought process behind what was really going on as you went through your 20s and into your 30s? You know, the drinking accelerated. Now, it wasn't overnight, but it did accelerate. And the idea, you know, it college was, I went to college um, for bounce around colleges for a bit. And mm-hmm. it made me feel like I was normal. It took away all of that other stuff. Because what I learned, Amy, was being myself equals pain. Yeah. So imagine having to want to eradicate yourself because you didn't want to get hurt. Now, of course, no one was at that point was going to go start punching me. I didn't, I, I mean, but irrationally, that's at the, my core, that's what I still felt. Yeah. And so it was me kind of washing the me off of me, as I would say. And so on the outside looking in, I may have been just like a typical, you know, early 20s, late teens, you know, just just getting out there and partying. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I was in my basement getting hammered. I was, you know, at home alone or living at my parents. But yeah, it was, it was just to really distance myself from all of that. It was like it was self-medicating pain. Because it's still, even though that had happened a while back, it was all of high school plus, you know, two years. So it was a short time of time, short amount of time, but I I kept re-traumatizing myself. And so it's like, yes, I was, I may have been victimized at one point, but I kept myself in victim mode. Interesting. Yeah. And so interesting way to look at it. Yeah. So I kept, I kept replaying it over and over and over and over and that fueled um, my drinking. And so in my mind, I was rationalizing and justifying it and saying, if you had a life like me, you drink too. And yeah. on, again, on the surface, you know, I, you know, concerned parents now, um, by 19, I already had crashed uh, a car. So that already the consequences were starting to, to present themselves. Mm-hmm. And so in, in 20s and 30s, I mean, it was just a progression, a slow progression, but definitely habits were in there. Like I started to uh, I was working as a chef, like I said, and that's a perfect <laughs> talk about the perfect career um, because we were surrounded with hospitality industry. And so all the restaurants I worked at and everything had alcohol lying around and the, the culture of chefs and servers and all that were heavy partying. So I'd be up late. Yeah. You know, I, I'd finish work late and stay out really late, uh, really worrying my wife. And, you know, it, it caused strain in that area, too. Because when did you meet your wife? I was even in college. Okay. Uh, so I was 19 or 20 mm-hmm. when we met. And so we were married, you know, I think 23, 24, I believe. And, and so I, it, it was a lot of, you know, I put her through a lot, you know, trying to figure out, I, you know, I was moving up in my career. I was doing well. Yeah. And she was doing well in hers. And, uh, but that seemed to be kind of a thorn 
in my side, which was a thorn in her side. Of and course. so it was just, it was just a progression. So I'd say like my thirties was in some ways kind of a blur in terms of, I can't even pinpoint certain markers there because in that mindset of victim. And so my energy was low, you know, I was in a low vibration. I was, um, I was angry a lot. I was sarcastic. I was very negative. I was looking always at the worst in people. I was always scared. Yeah. And so all of that fueled the alcohol and the alcohol then would exacerbate that. And so it was this, the cycle that I felt like I could never get out. I wasn't self-aware at the time. I did realize I probably did like to drink, but I, I, I didn't think I had a problem with it per se. Okay. So when did you start realizing you had a problem with it or what could you describe as being your kind of your rock bottom that made you realize, wow, this is what's really going on with me? There are lots of bottoms. <laughs> there are a lot of bottoms. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think at, at one point I did wake up, I think one day and I think I looked, I see, I had a hard time even looking in the mirror. Yes. I've and heard that I, from other people. Yeah. Too. I had yeah. a really hard time and, and I would call myself every name in the book. I would, I was so great at punishing myself and yeah. I would literally, and I'm not, this is not metaphorical or anything. I would literally punch myself uh, in the face, trying to like, feel something to, to punish myself, to like do anything to like, I was judged jury and executioner for myself. Yes. yes. And I think one day I woke up, like I said, and I think I looked in the mirror and I said, I'm an alcoholic. And it almost felt like a relief. It was like, okay, got a label. That's good. It's <laughs> <That's> a start. <laughs> like it felt like I belonged to a club. Finally, like it was like I had an identity, which I hadn't felt in a long time. And so I, I realized now that didn't stop me. I think it just, it, it emboldened me in some ways because it's like, okay, well, if I'm an alcoholic, well, I'm going to act like one now, now I already had been. And so I think in the last five years from 30, like I, 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 I stopped when I was 40. Okay. And so I'd say in the last five years, it was really, it, it was really bad. Like it started to get really, really bad. And um, I think, you know, what had happened by the end is I had been arrested uh, for care and control, which is similar to a DUI, but it's okay. uh, something else. And that was it. I mean, I was, you know, back to living in my parents' basement. I was, you know, it was really, it was really rough, but I was still drinking. That's the funny thing. You'd think you'd stop, but, and then the real rock bottom. And this is what I say, all those things are consequences. Yeah. Those are consequences. The okay. real, the real bottom is when you, it's emotional. It's when I said to myself, I can't do this anymore. And that was it. And then that's when the, 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 the lights would, that's when it flipped. That's when it just, my ego cracked open just enough Okay. for the light to come in. Yeah. And, um, and then that was it. Then my family had already, I'm sure they had it planned out already where I was going. <laughs> and so I was taken right away. And, and then that's when it started. That's when the healing kind of started, you know, detox and treatment. And, and I hadn't had a drink since. May 4th will be, which is coming up, at least of this as we're talking. Yeah. Um, May 4th will be nine years. So, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I like that line about how my ego cracked open just enough to let the light in. Yeah. That's a big, that's like an aha moment for me right now with you. Because I love the, how you put that. And I feel like um, that resonates with a lot of individuals who are probably listening to this type of podcast as a survivor. Because no matter what type of survivorship you're going through, it's the same feeling. 
Yeah. And, you know, especially with uh, anything with addiction, because I can't speak to the other forms of survivorship is yeah, it's so much, there's a lot of ego, there's manipulation and there's justification, there's denial mm-hmm. and, and all of this. And you just dig your heels into the ground. And, and so it's very powerful when that just moves away. It's like a curtain, just, just enough for the, the, the sunlight to come in. And when you realize, okay, I can't, this is, this has got to end or else this is going to end poorly. And, uh, I knew that if I didn't stop, I, I either, I would be dead or I would have killed someone or be in prison for like, I just knew it was coming. Yeah. And, uh, it was like a storm, you know, and dogs can feel storm. Coming yeah. And, yeah. And I just, I, I said, this is enough. That's amazing. So since that happened, I mean, how could, how would you describe the first few years of being sober? What changed? Everything. It's funny. I was just talking to someone just before this call and, and with struggles that they're having. And I said, you know, I didn't have a drinking problem. I drank like a champ. I could drink no problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, drink, yeah. Uh, it's a thinking problem I had. And Interesting. It's, it's my perception. It was my perception of myself and where I was in the world. It was, it was how I thought, right, which creates the feelings, which creates the actions, which creates the results, as you know. Yeah. And so my thinking was skewed and it had been because I was attached to my experiences and, you know, whatever it was that I felt about myself. I internalized a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's getting sober wasn't about promising never to drink again. It was about how do we create a life that drinking is no longer in the menu? You know, how do I clear up the wreckage of my past? How do I clear all that up and be square with myself and the universe and the world? How do I do that? And, and that's, that was the work. That's the work. And, you know, even today, it's a different kind of work. I think many of us on this path have a way of doing things um, so that we're centered and we're authentic. Because if I could fully accept myself, forgive myself, things I had never done, you know, it took me a couple of years to say that I even liked myself. And it, took me a couple, and it took me a couple of years after that to even say I love myself. And it probably took me another year or two to believe it. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so that was really hard. Like that same mirror where I would, couldn't look, I was able to like look at myself in the eye and say, I love you and mean it. And so it was a lot of like making amends. It was about seeing myself um, in a different way so that when I start to do that work, I didn't need to escape it. You don't have to escape something that you really, really enjoy. That was the real, that's the work. And that first year was very hard. That first year, like physically removing myself from that, changing my habits, changing mm-hmm. my routines, changing, it was, it was really hard. Um, but then it got better and it's been better. Did you have somebody help you with that part of the journey? Like, did you have a therapist involved? Did you have professionals involved that first year? Uh, no, but I had a, I had a, I went through 12 step. Um, mm-hmm. and so I had a sponsor. So he, I've had two of them and they, they both helped me go through the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and they showed me the way. And in return, I've, I've sponsored many men, um, uh, in return, just helping them go through the step work and the intern. It's a lot of inner work. Um, it's a lot of, and then, and then going back out there and making amends to people. So I had someone definitely I had, and you know, it wasn't just him. I had a whole slew of uh, people's phone numbers that I could talk to anytime and uh, go to meetings and go. So there was always every day 
was I was talking to a few people and for an introvert like myself who was hidden, who didn't like talking to people for a while, that was, that was hard too. Yeah. And so, um, I didn't see anyone professionally, but certainly, um, having people who have done the work themselves and leaning on them emotionally and mentally and spiritually, that was huge because you don't do this alone. You can't, no. can't like with any sort of survivorship, there's groups, you know, support. There's always someone who's been there and who knows it and can walk you through whatever it is that they did. Exactly. And so again, it doesn't matter what it is. People have gone through it and they've survived and thrived. And, and same with this, that it's not just putting down the bottle. It's changing your life around. And, and so many people that go through this path, they start like maybe with a, the lowest EQ in their family. And by the time they're gone through this process, people are coming to them. Yeah. It's such a, it's a, it, it's like a spiritual awakening for, for many. And it's not like a overnight, it's just a gradual educational type. And it's in that, that the change happens. And so drinking doesn't cross my, do I get a thought there then? Sure. Of course I do. But it's, it's easily dismissed because it doesn't have any energy. So what I want to talk a little bit about too is kind of your thriving journey that happened after this, because I know you continued working as a chef, right? Mm, And then you little by little were like tweaking things. I know you came out with a book a couple years ago. Talk to us a little bit about your journey of, you know, continuing as a chef and then starting to share that awakening with others. I started, I used to write. So I was a writer for a while. Sorry, my dog is barking. That's Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Bean the Dachshund needs to be quiet. Um, so I was a writer, so I used to write, and that was one of the things that went to the wayside as my drinking progressed. And so I was signed up about an, a year or two after I stopped. I, I started to um, get the itch again to write, but I didn't know what to write about. So I started uh, with a blog. Never been a never written a blog in my life, and so I started talking about my journey where mm-hmm. I was at. So that was about a year after I. Um, so, and that just started to get popular. And I had a, a few thousand subscribers to that. And that was called Message in a Bottle. And, uh, and then I took a break from that. Then I started to um, podcast. You know, I, I started Buzzkill. And that's uh, that was another uh, podcast on recovery. Mm-hmm. It's still going. I'm, I'm still not, uh, uh, you know, I'm irregular with it. Yeah. Um, it's still there. And, um, but then I had an idea, like, it just felt like I needed to really open it up more. And so the idea of the book kind of came around and, uh, I, I just, I just dove in at one point and said, I'm going to do this. And, and so that one's, uh, longing for the spirit. And, and that was a combination of some, some blog posts that I actually kind of really fixed up some new material, a lot more new material, and then some mm-hmm. stories about growing up like sort of touchstone so i do talk about the bullying i do talk about um some of the stuff in the chef world i, I, I talk about some of that stuff was hard for yeah me to share and so it's not a memoir per se it's not i don't what i what i avoid amy is i i don't talk about even here you've noticed i don't talk about how much i drank and like drunk story i don't talk about that that's that's immaterial to me yes yeah. it's the fears it's the resentments it's like that's the stuff that whether you're a gambler or someone who spends or you're into pornography whatever it is overeating that's very much the same the vehicle to express that is different 
right? Yeah, yeah. And and I like the fact that you said it's immaterial now because I think uh, for many and for myself too, on the thriving part of the survivorship journey, you start to forget in a way those specifics. You remember parts of the trauma, but you don't remember that vehicle you're describing to get you there. Yeah, and it's important to... Um, to reconnect to that in some way. And that's, and that's why, how working with others was a way to kind of remember because it, yeah. is, it, is, it is hard to, it's easy to forget or forgetter is strong. <laughs> so it's, it's like childbirth, right? You forget how painful. Oh yeah. <laughs> the baby comes out two days later. You're like, Oh, I forgot. I forgot about all the stitches. You know? <laughs> I forgot about, yeah, it's the same thing, you yeah. know, and, and as painful and as awful as it is, it was people that go back out, can justify and rationalize and minimize what it was like. And so, you know, having that, that book also is a reminder of what it was like. And it's, you know, it's more on the spiritual side and coming at it from behavioral kind of way, or just looking at it from perspective, almost coachy, you know, it was sort of like a coachy thing before I was coaching. Yeah. And so it was coming from that place. And so I think that's why a lot of people who weren't in recovery, didn't struggle with it, were able to relate because it was just really talking about humanness, you know, our humanity. So, so a little bit after you wrote the book, I think that's when you started to really dive into coaching others. Can you talk about your career transition and what that's looked like to you? The last two or three years of my career, and I'd done very well. I was working, you know, I got a job actually um, only two or three months after I got sober. And it was a position that was not normally open. It was like, it was a very, it was a good position. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was very, and they knew about my, they did a background check and they knew. And they said, was it substance abuse? I said, yes. And, you know, what assurance? I said, I can't give you any assurance, but believe me, I'm not going back, <laughs> I'm not doing that again. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so they were very kind to do. It. And that's, that's the position I stayed until the end. It was about two, three years. I started to feel like, you know, there's something else calling me. And I didn't know what it was. And I struggled like I really did. And I was, someone had called, asking for help. They were in crisis, something they're drinking. And it was late at night and I got off the phone and my wife Hina said, you know, you should maybe just become a coach. And my response is, ah, no. <laughs> I'm like, ah, why would I do that? But sometimes you can't, the curmudgeon in me still is there. Um, and and just, so, just a little background to all the listeners. Hina um, is, is a coach herself with a psychotherapy background. So if she's yeah. If she's telling you, maybe you should coach, maybe you should. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. So, but it, well, it planted a seed. And so it wasn't, I, then it, I, not too long after I started to think about it. And I knew someone who's in the recovery space and who had just become a coach. And so I talked to her uh, and I said, so tell me more about this. And she did. And it sounded really good. And so I investigated and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. It felt really good. And it was a big investment and it was a chunk of time, like in like time-wise as well, mm-hmm. uh, working full-time and taking care of the home and then doing this. But I, I, the more I got into it, I was like, this feels so good. Like, this is great. You know, I, I was going to leave at the end of 2018. I think it was 2018. But then I left in September because I had a lot of people saying, why are you waiting? And I thought, why am I waiting? Mm-hmm. And um, so I just jumped right into it. Now, I had already been working on my business. Like, I'd been building it on the back end. So it wasn't that I just stopped working and I had, like, nothing. I had been working at it. So it took me a bit to, to start getting my first clients. And um, it's been really good since like really, I can't tell you, you know, I can spend the whole day just working with clients and just still feel 
you know, I feel a bit tired, but I feel energized. I feel great. And, and just, and that extends into the work of being online and social media. I'm very active and doing the coaches cove. And I, I have another Facebook group called sober Haven and, you know, kind of really managing that. And another podcast I started and like, so it was just, it's, there's something about communicating to people. There's something about not only sharing that story, but sharing other things, you know, it's not always just about that story, but certainly that was, I wouldn't, be where I'm at now, if I weren't going through that, like I had to go through that as painful as it was to get to where I am now, where I definitely feel I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing. And you feel that now? Oh, yeah. You know, I'll have my, I'll have my moments. I'm like, maybe I should get a job again. I'm like, no, it's, <laughs> no, it's, don't do that. No, it's the same energy. Like maybe I should have a drink again. I'm like, no, yeah. don't, that's a bad idea. Let's just no. And so it's almost the same kind of energy around. It, it. is. Like, yeah. It's like, get back to safety kind of uh, yes. thought. Yes. And so I just like, no, it's, no, that's not going to end well. <laughs> so, but it's, it's cause it's a, you know, going from employee, my whole life was an employee now to an entrepreneur and it's, it's new. It's a whole different ball game, but it's satisfying in a way that being an employee just doesn't give you. And you own your, you own your business. You own the thought process behind it. You're impacting people's lives, which is amazing. And uh, we are going to include all of your uh, resources uh, just underneath this podcast and in the notes of the podcast, because I think that if people can really read your book, see all the great work that you're doing, um, it may motivate them as well mm-hmm. to follow your journey. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot there. And it's something that I'm really, um, I'm really proud of. You know, I do get people saying that it's been really helpful for them. And, you know, and that's what it's all about. It's just being of service. And uh, a lot of it is just passion. You know, passion and purpose aren't necessarily, we tend to throw them together, but they, they are a bit different. And, and this does feel like it is both. Yeah, it sounds like it. And you're right. Passion and purpose are both different. Mm-hmm. Another thing I wanted to quickly touch on is, do you feel that a lot of us that go through these types of journeys are more empathic people? Like how do we control that empath within us to be able to help other people effectively and not take from our own energy? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Yeah, I think many of us are sensitive. And I remember uh, I had, uh, you know, I used to go through a lot of therapists. This was while I was still active. Yeah. Uh, and, and I had a, a therapist tell me, he goes, you know, Paul, you're just sensitive. And I took it like, like I was, you know, I was, a, I was offended. Yeah. You know, like how, yeah. how dare who I? wants to be, who wants to be called sensitive these days? I know. Like, I'm not sensitive. I know you're sensitive, you know? And so I'm not sensitive, but I realized that that sensitivity, it's, it's, it's a gift. You know, we feel very hard, you know, how we respond to that, how we use it is is important and so sensitivity definitely with empathy like it's it's huge like we that's how we connect where we we feel what others uh might be feeling we 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 empathize with where they're at and sit with them and not try to change them or we're not sympathizing with them we're just we're there what also is important with empathy and people that are sensitive is boundaries and so what you do is you learn to not take on what isn't yours. And so you can, you know, there's one thing that Al-Anon, which is the, there's, there's AA for 12 mm-hmm. step, and then there's Al-Anon, which are uh, for the family 
of yes. that course. And one thing that, and, and they have some amazing lessons in there, just in life period. And, and one thing that they say, and I love using it, is, you know, we can care about people, but not care for them. I love and, that. Yeah. And so I can care about such and such, but I'm not taking care of them. They're, I'm not doing their pushups for them. I'm not, I'm not taking on their, their energy and their stuff because then that depletes me. Yes. And so it's, it's learning to effectively protect your own energy, but in a way that you're, you're not closed off. And those are two different things. Exactly. So I want to close off uh, the podcast and thank you so much again, Paul, for joining us today because I think this is a, it's an excellent story and it's a great way to show how you've been thriving and how wonderful things have been for you. I know you've got two kids as well. Mm -hmm. They're 10 and 12, two boys. And I know you're super close with them too. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, it's it's amazing And, and your wife is still with you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if she'll laugh at that, but yes. <laughs> but she is. And you know, she is, that says a lot, right? Yeah, no, I'm very lucky. Yeah. 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 So I wanna I wanna finish off by asking um what we do here at the podcast is we honor people who may not have survived. Is there anyone that you want to dedicate this to? You know, there's no one in particular, but I, I do dedicate it to the still suffering alcoholic or addict out there the the person who hasn't who hasn't gotten to that place yet where they realize where that ego is cracked and and there's you know we hear about these deaths all the time you know especially yeah. when you're in that and uh, a lot of times it, it won't say alcoholism or addiction on the death certificate yeah but it, it it is in however way they 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 passed and and so for those people who are still searching for those who are uh, still lamenting and trying to figure this out. I and mean, that's, that's for them. That's awesome. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories. Today's episode was brought to you by 15minutesaday.ca. We look forward to hearing from you again Feel free to leave comments and suggestions in the message area below or to reach out to our team if you feel that you are a good candidate for appearing on Calm After the Storm.